Mark chapter number 5. This is our second message in our three-part series entitled, Shut the Door, Keep Out the Devil. Mark chapter number 5 and verse number 1. Mark 5 and verse number 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. Now, this is a place directly across the Sea of Galilee. It's called the country of the Gadarenes, and one would think that this was where the tribe of Gad was living. But actually, the country of the Gadarenes during the time of Christ was actually where the tribe of Manasseh lived. Gad was just a little bit south of there, but obviously there would probably maybe been some moving around, so to speak. But the bottom line is this is directly across the Sea of Galilee, Manasseh, uh, the tribe of Gad had inhabited that land. They didn't take their inheritance on the other side of Jordan. We'll say more about that in time to come. Verse number two, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, don't you find it interesting that he had superhuman strength? I wonder the infatuation that we have with superheroes today, people that possess superhuman strength, if not perhaps this is because of demonic activity. It says here he would pluck the chains asunder. And notice it says here at the end of verse 4, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. Now there were there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. The unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. This is the first batch of deviled ham ever made. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. They that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed of the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. They were afraid. They that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. They began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. When he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit, 
Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. Can you relate to this man? Telling people the great things that God has done for you. If you're saved, then we're, we're just in the same condition as this man. We were messed up royally. We were on our way to hell. But when Jesus saved us, we can literally tell a lost and dying world the great things that the Lord has done for us. And had compassion on thee, Jesus said. In verse 20, and he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. This morning I want to preach part two of Shut the Door, Keep Out the Devil. The title of part two is How to Create an Amiable Atmosphere for Devils. An amiable atmosphere. What do we mean by the word amiable? The word amiable means deserving of affection. It means friendly. It means comfortable. We would often refer to an amiable atmosphere as a place that has the right kind of ambiance. Now, I grew up in Idaho. I wasn't a tater farmer, but I was just a, a country boy from a simple family. And I know some of the finer things in life were just completely foreign to me. And I know that even special events like next week's Valentine's Day... Uh, some of the things that being romantic and special and thoughtful and having a romantic ambiance, those are just so foreign to an Idahoan. Most of us, I guess. But I know that there are times when an ambiance creates an atmosphere and it can be either inviting or it can be repelling. Last week we talked about the reality of the spirit world. And if you'll recall... I made a statement that is true, that when we refer to the devil, we're actually referring to devils, plural. I'm not saying that in all cases we are, but when we say that the devil showed up at my doorstep, or the devil made me do it, or the devil tempted me, it probably wasn't Satan himself, because Satan is not omnipresent like the Lord is. He's not like the Holy Spirit of God. He can't be all places at all times. And so I I doubt that any of us here have actually had Satan show up in our life like Job did. But I guarantee you, if you're a child of God, you have had one of his devils show up. And devils are spirits. And it's important that we recognize that fact that devils are spirits and the door, the way that they influence us is primarily through our human spirits. Have you ever noticed how that places have a spirit? A church can be said that they have a friendly spirit. I think a friendly spirit is a good spirit to have, amen? I've been to churches that didn't have a friendly spirit. And boy, you just are not going to sense the presence of God if God's people are not demonstrating a friendly spirit. You say, well, does that mean that I just go around and I shake everybody's hand and I uh, become Mr. Personality? Not necessarily. I've been to churches where the ushers and the greeters were well-trained, but it wasn't sincere. It was because of their training, not because they had a spirit of hospitality and friendliness. 
I tell you what, you get around a church that has a, a friendly spirit and training isn't even necessary. Because if you have a friendly spirit, you're going to see somebody and you're going to want to go and make their day. You're going to want to make them feel comfortable and welcome. It can be said of a home, that a home has a spirit of contention. And I know many homes will have spirits of contention. Sometimes it's because of the husband, sometimes it's because of the wife, sometimes it's because of the kids, sometimes it's because of everybody and all of the above. But there's nothing more uncomfortable than being in somebody's home where there is a spirit of contention. I mean, you can go and visit, you can be in that home, and everything on the surface can look and appear like it's fine, but down deep you know that something's making you feel uncomfortable. In Matthew chapter 10, in verse number 12, Jesus tells his disciples, And when you come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. It can be said of a home that there is a peaceful spirit in a home. I know that uh, our home growing up, that we had a very peaceful home, a very quiet home. Uh, I, I, I recognize the fact that not every, every child is the same. You got some children that are quiet. Some of your parents are going, where did you see those before? And then other children are a little bit more rambunctious. But you know, I believe that a home ought to be a peaceful home. I believe that children, I'm not talking about just sitting on their every move and controlling their pulse. I'm not talking about there's not a time for laughter and joy and a time to be loud. But you know what? If, if a home is filled with chaos, then it's not a good spirit. And we tried to keep uh, things fairly quiet and peaceful in our home. And I know that um, we'd have people over. And, uh, you know, sometimes not everybody has the same type of home. And uh, I know, especially as I get older and our kids have been grown for a long time, when I get around children, I'm reminded that, oh, yeah, now I remember kids uh, they don't just sit there. You remember, some of you old-timers remember a, a child should be seen and not heard. <laughs> How many of you remember that cliche? All right? That, that's a dinosaur cliche, amen? That, you just don't see that today. But the bottom line is there is a spirit in a church. There's a spirit in a home. I believe that America does not have a good spirit right now. I mean, we got a bad spirit, a spirit... Uh, an angry spirit, a spirit of dishonesty and falsehood, a spirit... I mean, you talk about a sensual spirit in America. America is a nation of whores and whoremongers. It's just the way it is. And so there's not a good spirit. I remember when I got right with the Lord back in 1986. And I don't have time to share my entire testimony, but... When I hit sophomore year in high school, I went the way of the world. And I started doing things that, that really that lost people do. And I was a carnal Christian. I was saved, but I got discouraged because of church and Christians and so forth. And so I decided I'm going to go live 
out there in the world. And I found that there were some sins that um, were very pleasurable for a season. By the time I graduated in uh, 1984, I got in trouble with the law. I got in trouble because of drinking and so forth. And because I got in trouble after God warned me, I told the Lord, I made a promise, Lord, I'm never going to do that again. And I kept that promise for about a year and a half. And the night before I got right with the Lord, I broke that promise. And during that time, I'd been under conviction, and I tried to do everything I could to relieve that conviction without totally getting right with God. I would kind of plea bargain with God. Okay, God, I'll stop listening to this music, and then I'd, I'd choose a, a different worldly music. Uh, Lord, I'll, I'll stop hanging out with those friends, and I'll hang out with these friends. And really, the reality of it is I was just picking and choosing one form of evil over another form of evil. Anything but truly getting my heart right with God. Well, after I broke that promise, I went home that night, and uh, my parents were out of town, and so I was miserable. And I was all alone, and I don't think I slept very good that night. The next morning, early in the morning, my neighbor knocked on the door. He was a carpet layer. And he said, hey, Randy, I've got a job just down the road. I could use a hand. And every now and then I would help him with a job. And so I said, sure, I'll, I'll help you. So I got, got my clothes on, and it was just a short drive down the road. And we went into this older couple. I mean, these folks were probably, no doubt, in their 70s. And as I walked into their back porch, God is my witness, there was something godly about that home. I noticed as I went in, I would see Bibles laying around. I would see plaques and different things on their walls that indicated that these were Christian people. They came out and were giving instructions to the guy I was working with, and you could just tell there was a sweet spirit about them, a Christ-like spirit, a godly spirit. And here I was under deep conviction, and I found that 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 spirit of, and I don't even know these people's names, I can't even remember their face. It was just such a, a, one of those things that wasn't significant at the time, but when I look back on it, it's like the Lord put me in a situation where I would have to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there was something about being there. It was an inviting conviction. It made my conviction worse. But there was something about it that was inviting, and it was drawing, and it was sweet. And you know, later on that day, I remember going out into the woods, and I remember this kneeling at at a stump where a tree had been cut off. And I remember just pouring my heart out to God. And it was, I believe then, is when my heart got right with the Lord. But it was because, probably because of the spirit of those Christian folks. Maybe, I'm sure, that I'll see them when I get to heaven. Now, I don't know who they are, but I think that God knows, don't you? And I want to thank them. I want to thank them for their godly Christian testimony And thank them for the presence of the Holy Spirit in their home because it was, nothing was said. There wasn't a single thing said that was convicting. It was just 
the presence of the Holy Spirit in that godly home. Folks, we need more homes like that in our church. We need more homes like that in our nation. But let me ask you a question. Here we just saw a story about the country of the Gadarenes, Gadara, if you will. Nowhere else do we find such demonic activity as what appeared there in Gadara. I mean, here's a man with legions. Nowhere do we find anywhere that there is literally 2,000 demons that are possessing one man. This is a very unique story, but obviously there was something about Gadara that the devils liked. And so the question is, what made the country of the Gadarenes so amiable to the devils? Look at with me once again at verse number 10. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. This is the legion, whoever is the spokesman for these 2,000 devils speaking through this maniac. And he says, He's beseeching Jesus, don't send us out of this country. There is something about that country where those devils felt very welcome and very comfortable. And I believe that some of the things as we study the history of the gatherings, I think there's some things that really on the surface don't look that evil at all. But remember, our premise here is that the devil doesn't always get into our lives through things that look wicked and evil. I remember some of the the heavy metal music that that me and my friends would listen to in high school, and some of it was just outright satanic, and some of the lyrics and some of the, the, the performers made, I mean, they didn't even try to hide that they were satanic in all that they said and did. But you know what? When the devil appears that way, He's probably not going to get the Bible-believing Christian through ACDC. You know how he's going to get you? Through Amy Grant. (laughs) God bless you. (laughs) Well, I like Amy Grant. Let me tell you something. There is something about when you you take God's music and you combine it with something that is worldly, there is something extremely subtle. And I'm telling you what, when you try to take and combine God and the world and you try to put those together and amalgamate them, you are opening the door wide open to the devil. And he slips in and you don't even know that he has slipped in. What made the country of the Gadarenes so amiable to devils? Number one, devils are comfortable around people that make life decisions based on sight and circumstances rather than seeking God's will. This is what the Apostle Paul refers to as walking by sight rather than walking by faith. In Numbers chapter number 32 and verse number 1, we go all the way back to the, uh, where this country of the gatherings, how it came into existence, and the tribe of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. It says that, uh, in chapter 32 and verse 1 of Numbers, that they had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, 
the place was a place for cattle. Now, we won't read the entire story, but they came to Moses and they said, look, this is just so coincidental. We've got all these cattle. And look at this land on the other side of the Jordan River. I mean, it's perfect for cattle. And they saw it. And they recognized that, hey, this is, this is perfect for us. This is a perfect fit. This is the land that we want. And you know, it's interesting. They hadn't even seen the land that God had promised them on the other side of Jordan yet. They wanted this land. They asked for it before they even crossed over the River Jordan. And so the circumstances, they looked at it. And so they made a decision based on sight rather than by faith. Now, the interesting part about this story is that when they requested for their inheritance to be on the other side of Jordan, the Bible says that Moses allowed it. But you know, folks, I don't find anywhere in the Bible where anyone made inquiry of God to find out if God was okay with that. Now, obviously, in God's permissive will, God allowed it. And there's a lot of things about God's permissive will that it's very difficult for us to, to figure all of those things out. But the bottom line is we don't find anywhere where the, the tribe of Reuben or the tribe of Gad or the half-tribe of Manasseh came to Moses and said, Hey, Moses, would you ask God if we could have this? Would it be God's will? Would this be best for us? Would this be best for our children? No, they made a decision because of what was best for their cattle. Listen, just because something is allowable doesn't mean that it's best. And I think that that is one of the most subtle ways that the devil gets into our life. He does it through the door of expediency. The door of choosing something that seems to be okay rather than choosing the door that's the best. I mean, the devil puts us in a game of let's make a deal where we have to choose between this curtain or this door and all of these things. And if we're not careful, he will bait us into choosing something that in and of itself just doesn't look that evil. But if he can get us off track, then the further that we go down the road, the more that time goes on, incrementally, he will just continue. And he's patient, by the way. And he will influence us. Hey, it's almost a a cliche nowadays of churches that have gone liberal. I mean, there are churches. When's the last time that someone come up and said, hey, I'd like to invite you to to my church. Uh, We've gone liberal. (laughs) Nobody says that. The bottom line is there are churches that are liberal as the devil himself and they don't even know it. Why? Because somewhere, somewhere back there in the past, a little compromise was made. Well, you know what? This other Bible is so much easier to understand. We're we're still gonna, we're still gonna preach out of the King James, but uh, we're gonna just promote everybody to start reading out of other versions because after all, you don't want to read your Bible and not understand everything that you're reading, right? And so you take just a little step in that direction. Well, you know what? Let's, um, let's have this, um, this musical performance so that we can draw young people in and let's, let's, let's give them, let's relate to them with music that, that they're familiar with. 
And we'll use that as a means to preach the gospel to them. And it just looks like it's so good and it looks like it's so God-honoring, but we mix those two together and then what happens? Early on, we see good results. Well, we, we changed our method, but we didn't change our message. And that was the thesis of Rick Warren's book on the purpose-driven church. We, we change our methods, but we don't change our message. You know what? Anybody, anybody that's been around Christianity for 50 plus years, let me ask you a question. How's that working for the church? It ain't working very good. I mean, we got churches that started out that way years ago. Change our method, but don't change our message. You walk into that church place today, and God's not in a million miles of it. It looks like a rock concert. It looks like a flesh fest. And yes, the message ends up changing. And that's exactly what happened to the Gadarenes. They started walking by sight. And let me ask you a question. Isn't that exactly the same mistake that Abraham's nephew Lot made? When the Bible says that he saw the plains of Sodom, that they were well watered. He saw that, oh, this is just a wonderful place for my cattle. And he didn't say to Abraham, look, Uncle Abraham, you are the friend of God. You are the father of faith. I know that my herdmen and your herdmen, they're having this struggle, and I know we've got to kind of go our separate ways. But I tell you what, Abraham, you, you have this relationship with God you tell me what would be best for me. No. Abraham said, look, whatever you choose, I'll take the other. And Lot chose the thing that looked right. He walked by sight and not by faith. And you know, at first, everything went fine. But by the end of the story, you find that not only is he in the the suburbs are out in the country outside where the plains are all watered, where his cattle are all grazing. But the next thing you know, you find him in the city, and pretty soon he's sitting on the gate. He's part of the city council. He's not just hanging around them. He has become one of them. Why? Because he didn't shut the door and he let in the devil, and the devil gets in just a little at a time at a time, at a time, at a time. Incrementally. So slow, but so absolute. I read in the book of Judges, chapter 22, that their own words make it clear that they were worried about being forgotten by God. In Joshua 22, verse 24, we find that the children of Reuben and of Gad and Manasseh, that they had erected an altar. And the other tribes, they heard about this altar, and they all gathered together. They thought, man, already, it's only been months, and they've already turned into paganism. And so all the armies of Israel gathered to go against these tribes on the other side, only to find out that this wasn't an altar that they uh, that they built to worship on, this was an altar as a testimony. And here's what they said. If we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, in time to come your children might speak unto our children, saying, what have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you, 
Ye children of Reuben and children of Gad, ye have no part in the Lord. So shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice. You know what was going on here, folks? You had these people, the, the, the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Reuben, had found themselves in the place of conscience management. They recognized that, hey, the Jordan River is a border between us. We are very vulnerable of being forgotten by God and forgotten by God's people. And our children are very, I mean, very susceptible to going a different direction because of this border between us, the Jordan River. They recognized it. They understood it. But they didn't make the changes that needed to be made. They tried to manage it. Manage their conscience. Let's just build this altar. And this will remind all of our children. This will remind them on the other side. We can handle this. How'd that work for them? It didn't work so well. We find legions of devils, and we find that devils were very comfortable in the amiable atmosphere of the gatherings. The devil loves it when God's people are in conscience management mode. It keeps us from being bold. It keeps us from being confident. It keeps us from being zealous. Oh, it doesn't mean that we're wicked. The gatherings and the the tribe of Reuben, it's not like that they had already started worshiping Baal. They just decided we're going to stay on the other side of Jordan. And you know what? We're just going to do our thing. And we'll let, we'll let all of you over on the other side of Jordan. We already fought our battle over here. We already defeated all of the Ammonites over here. We'll let you guys deal with the, the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites and so forth. We'll come in and we'll help you take over, but then we're coming back over here with our cattle and the ongoing battle will just let you take care of that. Sounds like America today. We are enjoying the freedom and the blessings because of our founding fathers that worshipped and followed the God of the Bible and they sacrificed, and they bled, and they died, and they suffered so that we could have this freedom. And what are we doing? We're giving it away. Not only are we giving it up, but the way of freedom, the way that this country was supposed to be, is now evil spoken of. How did that happen? Hey, it's not the country that I heard about in the 70s in the public education system. What happened? It happened incrementally because we started letting the devil in. We started making just a few compromises here and a few compromises there. The church has just been right in step with America as far as compromises and allowing certain things that this Bible here says should not be allowed. You know, you think about it. You know, there is no doubt probably some, some very good women preachers out there that can preach a good message. I've turned, had the radio on before, and I've heard women speaking, and it's like, wow, that was a great message. 
and then come to find out that that woman is a pastor of a church. And you think, that ain't right, folks. That ain't right. The Bible clearly says that that's wrong. But they're doing such a good job. They got a good church. They're doing good things. People are getting saved. It doesn't make it right. And that is where the devil, we open up the door, and now all of a sudden there is no, there's no way that we can shut that door. When God's people are following expediency rather than the scripture, when we're looking at what works rather than what's right, then listen, it doesn't mean that we become wicked, but we become If the Christian life was a ball game, then we become fans rather than participants. We become people that we come to church and, hey, I'm a big fan of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm a big fan of the Bible. I love my church. Now, I don't necessarily live according to the Bible. I don't do anything really wicked, but I don't, you know, I don't really change anything that would make me look different than everybody else around me. We become a big fan, but not a participant. You know, the devil doesn't mind us if we wear God's uniform as long as we don't get in the battle. The whole Christian church is like, you know, it's like uh, people coming, the, the soldiers that would come back from basic training. They'd come back from basic training before they'd get shipped overseas, and they'd make sure that when they went into town on Saturday night, they all wore their uniform because the girls liked to see a man in uniform. And they would just walk around. It's like, hey, look at me. I got a couple little little pins here and a couple little awards that I won in basic training, firing a gun in a firing range. I've never actually been shot at. I've never actually shot at the enemy, but... Don't I look the part? And that's exactly the way that the Christian church has become today. And the devil doesn't mind it at all. As long as we're not in the battle. And that is exactly what the Reubenites and the Gadites and uh, the half-tribe of Manasseh, that is the way that they live their life. Big fan of you, God. But no, we're going to stay on this side of Jordan and uh, we'll let we'll let other people go through all of the hassle and the turmoil and the trouble. That brings us to point number two, and that is that devils like it better on the other side of Jordan. When I say the other side of Jordan, I'm talking about from the perspective of God's people being in Canaan land, the land where we're supposed to be, and as Jesus crossed over the Sea of Galilee, the devils like it better over on the other side. When Israel was brought out of Egypt, that's a picture of their salvation. God delivering them from the place of bondage, the place of sin. And of course, we know that because of their unbelief, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. And I mean, they struggled. God blessed them and God took care of them. He gave them manna every morning. He gave them, He made sure that their shoes didn't wear out. He made sure that their clothes didn't wear out. He watched over them. But what should have been about a four-week journey ended up being 40 years. Going around in the wilderness and the desert. I mean, I, I don't know about you. If you've ever been in a desert place, 
We used to uh, have family members in Southern California, and every now and then we'd drive from Idaho to go and visit. And I was just a young boy, but I remember crossing over Death Valley. And you talk about just a horrible, miserable place. I mean, so hot and so dry, it looks like, I mean, there's a reason that they called it Death Valley. And you know what? The children of Israel just wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. What a shame. And sometimes we get saved. God brings us out of Egypt. And because we won't trust Him, we think we, we, we look at the giants and we think, well, I can't do that. We just don't want to go all the way with God. Hey, maybe 90%, maybe 80%, but not 100%. And so we wander around in the wilderness. But ultimately, God wants us to cross over the Jordan River. And that crossing over into the Jordan River, listen, I don't know what you want to call it. Some people have referred to that as the victorious Christian life. Some people have referred to it as the perfect will of God. Hey, listen, I've heard so many messages about crossing over the Jordan River. But the bottom line, it's the place of consecration. Listen, there are some people that get saved and they make a commitment to consecration this very same moment that they get born again. Others, it happens maybe a few days later as they start reading the Word of God and deter- you know, figuring out what God wants us to do. But there are others that wander around. Hey, I wandered around for uh, four or five years in the wilderness before I crossed over Jordan. And I guarantee you, some of you here this morning, you're still wandering around in the wilderness and you have never yet crossed over Jordan into the consecrated life that God wants you to live. Consecrated Christians make devils very uncomfortable. By the way, consecrated Christians make carnal Christians very uncomfortable too. The other side of Jordan is where the devils like it the best. Number three, devils are comfortable in a place that is influenced by culture and religion, but not the Bible. If you were to look up the country of the Gadarenes, I know that the other gospel in Matthew refers to it as the Gergesenes. Same place, just a different name. If you look it up in Wikipedia, you find that uh, this is what they say about it. They say that it was a center for that region of Greek and Roman culture. I mean, you don't find anything about the, you know, well, you find a few little things about this is the place where the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad and the tribe of Manasseh had their inheritance, but the overwhelming majority of this geographical location during the time of Jesus is that it was known as a Greek and Roman cultural epicenter. It was full of education centers. It was full of places of worship, etc. And you know what, folks? It being a Greek and Roman cultural epicenter, it didn't happen overnight. These are the same tribes that just they were part of Israel. They worshipped in the tabernacle in the wilderness. They followed Moses. They went 
when they went and crossed over and helped the rest of the tribes fight their battles, if you'll recall, I know you've heard this, uh, this saying from the Bible where Moses told these tribes, he said, be sure your sin will find you out. You know where that comes from? That comes from them making a commitment. Look, we'll come and help you fight. We'll leave our children and our cattle over here. We'll help you fight. We'll keep our, our word. And Moses told them, you better keep your word or be sure your sin will find you out. They were warned. They had the Scripture. They had the God of, of Abraham. They had all of these things. But they became known for their Greek and Roman culture, for their education, for their religion. How did they become pig farmers anyway? You ever thought about that? The Jewish people, they were forbidden to be around the unclean swine. And yet here we find that they're swine. If you know anything about human nature, you know, as we've already seen, that it happened just a little bit at a time. Perhaps maybe the cattle market was down. No, oh, they had all of these pastures for their cattle. And there for a while, their cattle were doing great. But maybe there was a drought and the grass dried up. Maybe the cattle market was down and they couldn't get any money out of their cows. But the pig market, it was up. And so they're struggling. And uh, they started kind of rationalizing it. You know what? All of this land here, it's great for cattle, but we can't make any money off of cows. We can't make any money off of sheep, but boy, we could make some money off of pigs. And you know what? If we started, if we just got one pig, we could raise it, we could feed it all of our scraps, and we could raise it, and then we could sell it, and we could give the money to missions. We got it all figured out. That's just what an awesome idea. And then so it comes time to sell the pig. And it's like, oh, wow, you know what? We have some other needs for this money. We'll, we'll just give a little bit of it to missions. And you know what? Because we want to give more to missions and we weren't able to give what we wanted to, maybe we'll raise three pigs because that would be three times more. And then we can certainly give to missions. And it just keeps going. The cycle just continues. And you know what? The, the good that was intended, it never comes because the problem wasn't the market. The problem wasn't the money. The problem was right here. It was the heart. Sometimes it takes faith to say no to something that maybe in and of itself is not evil and wicked, but it's going to lead to something that's evil and wicked. You know what? As a born-again Christian... I would never, by the grace of God, and I say by the grace of God, I would never take a job driving a beer truck. Well, you know, I, I, it doesn't mean that you drink or participate. Why would you want to drive around as a born-again Christian with a truck that's advertising the devil's beverage? You know what? I, I, I would never, as a Christian parent, let my children, let my teenagers, or uh, even uh, 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 a child in their 20s, I wouldn't let them work at some of those stores in the mall. Well, which one are you talking about? 
The, the name doesn't matter. The brand doesn't matter. All you have to do is walk through the mall and you can smell the world. You know, we were in Gatlinburg, Tennessee the last time we went there just for a little vacation, a little getaway. And you know what? We did not enjoy walking the streets of Gatlinburg like we did on our honeymoon. That's where my wife and I went on our honeymoon. We didn't enjoy it because every other place of business that we walked by, we're out on the sidewalk and we smell that vomit smell of whiskey being made. All of these stores, it's where they, they've got, uh, I don't even know what they call it, where they got their own home brew or their own d- distillery, and they're making liquor, and you can smell that vomit as you walk down the sidewalk. You can't even enjoy it. You walk through the mall, and there are stores, places where they sell clothing and otherwise, where you can smell the vomit before you get within 10 yards of it. Why would you want your child, why would you want to be in there with all of that rock music and the the, the devil's ambiance and all of that worldliness? Listen, I have seen so many Christians that foolishly allowed their children to get a job that ended up contributing to their demise. I can remember preaching this same principle years ago in Idaho. A bunch of families got a little upset at me over that. Why? Because they had daughters that were working in some of those places. And you know what? I didn't call out any names. I just tried to warn them. And you know what? Every single one of those families that got upset at me, guess what happened to their daughters? Guess what happened to their children? I can tell you this. They're not missionaries in Papua New Guinea today. No, they're messed up. Why? Because they opened the door to the devil and thought that they could manage him. Well, you know, it's good for our kids to learn how to work. They need a job. They need a car. They need a cell phone. Well, we got to get them a cell phone so that we can stay in touch with them. It's for an emergency. And so 12-year-old kids get smartphones so that we can stay in touch with them in an emergency. And what happens? They open up the door to the devil, and they get addicted on pornography. They get, uh, they get on some kind of a chat room, and their minds get corrupted, and Satan gets a stronghold. Well, I don't want my kids to be weird. I don't want my kids to do without the things that I had to do without. Well, if my wife takes that job then we can get out of debt, and then we can give more to missions, and just the the ideology just goes on and on and on. What are you saying, preacher? You're saying that it's wrong for a wife to work? I'm not saying that. But I will say this, that for the most part, dual-income families, it is not because of the, the high cost of living. It's because of the cost of high living. Well, I want, my, I want my standard of living to be up here where all of my friends are. And so, yeah, we'll just, uh, my wife is going to work and uh, she can make $40,000 a year. It's only going to cost us $20,000 a year for daycare. That's $20,000 for our standard of living. And then you find out that, okay, now we have to make two car payments because we got two incomes. Now we have to take care of clothing and expenses. And you know, the, the average family probably nets about maybe uh, 
20% of that income and they let somebody else raise their children in the process. I can't figure out what happened. Why, how did my children, why did, why did they become addicted to drugs? Why are they rebellious? Why do they not love God? Why do they not care about church? Well, maybe because we opened the door to the devil because we started thinking just like the Gadarenes and we thought, well, let's just raise a couple hogs and uh, we can manage this. Everything's going to turn out okay. Well, you know what? We've had such a busy week. We haven't had any family time. I think we'll just stay home this Sunday and have family time. All of this is walking by sight. It's the mentality of the gatherings. And don't fool yourself, not even for a split second. It creates an amiable atmosphere for the devils. My last point, number four. Devils are comfortable around people who want comfort and prosperity rather than holiness. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse number 1, It came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab. Hey, is there anything wrong with David the king sending Joab to battle? Nothing wrong at all. But it's the time that kings go forth to battle. David should have been out there on the battlefield with Joab, but instead he stayed back. Maybe he was tired of fighting. Who knows? Maybe he got discouraged. Maybe he thought, well, I'm just not necessary. But while he sent Joab and he stayed back, we find him on the top of his roof and he looks down and he sees Bathsheba bathing. And... um, you know, I'm, for sake of time, we're not going to read the whole thing, but if, if you look at the Scripture later on here in Second Samuel 11, we find that he saw her from the, the rooftop washing herself. She was beautiful to look upon. And then it says, And David sent and inquired after the woman. Folks, David's sin, the man after God's own heart, the Goliath killer, the one who trusted and had faith in God. I mean, you talk about a godly man. And you look at what David did. He took another man's wife when David could have just, David could have practically any woman that he wanted. And he took Uriah's wife and he had Uriah killed. This is not David. I mean, nothing about that would you say that you would expect David to do such a thing. His sin was likely satanic in origin. It was so insane. It's just hard to imagine that David could ever do such a thing. Well, it all starts with seeking comfort and prosperity rather than seeking holiness. I'm about done here this morning, but Revelation 18 and verse number 2 We find here the prophecy of Babylon falling. And he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. God gives us this description after the fall of Babylon. It's full of devils. It's full of unclean spirits. 
It has an amiable atmosphere for the devils. Notice what the further description of Babylon is in verse number 9. It says, And the kings of the earth have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Verse number 11, And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. You know what? I heard a preacher, a local preacher, trying to be profound years ago. And he tried to make the, 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 the point that Babylon is actually America. Well, Babylon is not America. Babylon is Babylon. But I will say this, America has become so much like Babylon that I can see it being easy to confuse the two. No man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls and fine linen and on and on and on. Notice down in verse number 16. And saying, alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. You know why America has had such military power? I'll tell you why. It's because of America's economy. You know how we won the Cold War against Russia? Because President Reagan turned the American economy around. The American economy was so strong that we were able to have a military that this world could not even compete with. We've enjoyed the technology and the military might. Why? Because we've stuck with Israel. I don't care what you think of our current president, but I sure hope and I pray that he sticks with Israel. I hope that that is one area that he doesn't fail because when we turn against Israel, we are toast, folks. We're probably toast anyways. It's just a matter of when. Babylon was a place of devils. It had an amiable atmosphere for devils. Why? Because of prosperity, because of comfort, because of all of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Do you want holiness or do you want comfort? Do you want righteousness or do you want prosperity? I would rather see America be righteous than to be prosperous. We would be way, way happier if we just had the blessings of God. We'd be better off with half of our income with the blessings of God than to have double the income and continue down the same path that we're going. Hey, what good is a six-figure income when your, when your teenage son is addicted to crack? Or methamphetamines. What good does that do? What good does it do to have six-figure income when your teenage daughter comes home and says, uh, I'm pregnant? The prosperity cannot buy happiness. In conclusion, the country of the Gadarenes had a major problem on their hands. The devils had created... 
this problem that they were powerless to deal with. They tried avoiding it. They tried chaining it. They tried taming it. They tried counseling. They tried medication. They tried everything that they could. They tried positive, feel-good seminars. Anything and everything, but nothing could fix their problem until Jesus showed up with the solution. And you know what's amazing? They weren't interested. He cast out those devils. He did what they had been trying to do. He fixed their problem with one word when he cast out those legion. Were they ignorant? Were they stupid? Were they foolish? Were they insane? No. It was satanic. They had opened the door and they had let in the devil and the devil had permeated their entire thought process. Folks, we're in a huge mess today and sadly, we don't even realize it. The only real solution, Jesus Christ, can fix our mess, but not without turning our world upside down. Therein lies the problem. We want Jesus to fix our mess. We just would kind of like to keep our hogs. We just don't want to lose our hogs. We don't want our world turned upside down. We don't want to have to change our schedule. God, could you maybe just help us and fix our problem on our terms? It's satanic, folks. It's subtle, yes, but very satanic. This maniac to whom God, uh, Jesus cast out those devils after he was clothed and sitting in his right mind, you know what he wanted? He wanted to be with Jesus. But the people wanted Jesus to depart and leave him alone. I end with this question. What do you want? What do you want? Do you want to be with Jesus? Or would you rather just be left alone?